Good, we're good to go. Wonderful. Okay. So we're getting towards the end of our series on 1 Thessalonians, um, the first, Paul's first letter to Thessalonians, this church that he'd had to leave before he would have liked to, um, in a state where he wasn't um, totally happy that he just wanted, was, was okay to walk away. And we're looking at what Paul writes to this church, um, this sort of baby church, and actually, he's discovered this church is growing, and he's really excited. There's been a good report from Timothy, and we're hearing what he has to say to this growing church. And we believe that this is God's word to us as well, as he's led us this year to be a, a praying for growth. And many of you will know we've just been through um, a week of prayer. Obviously, we, we want to pray every week, but some weeks we focus particularly on it just as a way of setting in place new habits, of making a point of connecting with each other to pray and we've had some fantastic times both gathering all together this week and also I know lots of people individually meeting up um, to pray and to fast together. Actually, it wasn't arranged this way deliberately, at least not by us, maybe by the Lord, but Tyndale School has also just had um, a week of prayer. They've had a prayer space open there, which has been wonderful. I know a number of us have been in there um, helping the children of that school, many of whom don't have a faith background, many of whom have um, a faith other than Christianity, helping them to learn about Christian prayer and God's love for them and forgiveness. It's been wonderful. Anyway, this is the backdrop, and we're getting towards the end of the letter, and one of the commentators gives a really helpful picture for how we might read the verses that we're going to read, um, and I'm just going to read them, and then I'll explain the picture. So here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5, we're on verses 12 and 13. It's headed final instructions in my translation here. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So that's the passage. I was given two verses today. I'm going to use a, little, a few more. I'm, I'm going to cheat a bit. Um, but actually, one of these commentators says, this, this is a bit like, um, for those of you who've packed a child off to university, it's a bit like kind of packing the car and saying those final few words, and suddenly you think, oh, just, just a couple more things, just, just while I'm there, just a couple more things while I think of it, because you're about to see a tail off in the communication. And so, you know, these are just a couple more things that Paul wants to say. And really, they, they summar, summarize this, honor those who serve or lead in the community and live at peace with one another. Actually, if we continue reading, there's a few more kind of, oh, just, just one more thing. Um, confront, encourage, help, endure, and then later on, forgive and bless. These, this is what is coming out of Paul's heart as he comes towards the end of the letter. But is this just a collection of sort of random final thoughts or bits and pieces I forgot? I don't know if you have this experience, but when, when we pack to go away on holiday... Um, Caroline does the indoor packing. I'm, I'm rubbish at it. I'm really rubbish at it. And then she loads it all to the kitchen, and I get it all in the car. And there's always a point when I've got all of the big suitcases in, and I look and I think, hey, we've got loads of space. This is great. And then I go back to the kitchen, and there's sort of 25 bags and little boxes and bits and pieces and Florence's mobility equipment, and I think, oh, I'm never going to get it all in. And it's just those last few bits and pieces that didn't quite fit anywhere else. Is that what this is? I want to say, no, it's not. This is not just random bits and pieces tacked on at the end of a letter, even though they're shorter passages. Because last words are really important, actually. Last words ring in your ears, don't they? Everyone remembers the last word of a film. Frankly, my dear, 
exactly. Okay, last words ring in your ears. They matter. And Paul is a good enough letter writer that he knows that what he says to them at the end will stick with them. But also, these last words don't exist in isolation. They don't just stand on their own. The last words you say to your child as you pack them off to university don't, don't exist in a vacuum, do they? They're built on years and years and years of relationship and the conversation you've just had. And the same is true with Paul. It's not years and years of relationship. It was a few weeks in Thessaloniki and then the rest of this letter. But these verses build on a conversation. And so I want to give a little bit of that context so that we understand why he's saying these things that he is. And so we're going to widen it out a little bit. Just to start, we're just going to go one verse before and one verse after. Okay. So here we go. This is from verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard amongst you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Okay, so we've just widened it out a little bit. We see a little bit of the bigger conversation. First of all, verse 11, you're actually already doing really well, guys. And it's great, isn't it? Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Then verse 14, possibly sharpen up a little bit. There's some ways in which you might be able to go deeper. There's a bit more encouragement. There's perhaps a little bit of warning that might be needed. There's some encouragement needed. There's some help needed. We need to be patient. But he's giving tweaks to a community that's already doing pretty well on this. And I just want to pause here. And I don't know if this is controversial, but I want to say I think this is us as a community. I think we're doing this pretty well. And when I was thinking about saying this, I thought, that's... I don't know if we do that. We get up and say, guys, we're doing brilliantly at this. But actually, we should expect that, shouldn't we? As a community, the Holy Spirit lives amongst us. We think he's pretty good at his work. And so we should expect that as he works amongst us, if we are open to him, that certain things amongst us will become really very Christ-like. And I think this is one area where we have been open to the Spirit and where God has done good work amongst us. But I don't just want you to take my word for it. I want to... Um, go to a, a different source, actually. This is, some of you will know the author Philip Pullman, not particularly keen on the church. Um, in an interview, which you can find on the internet, actually, when he was talking to a chap called Tony Watkins from a Christian magazine, they were talking about the book that he was about to write, which I think turned out to be the, uh, the, the first one of the Dark Materials trilogy. And being Oxford-based, he talked a bit about his experience of church. This is what he says. About 10 years ago, I got very interested in the growth of these sort of home-based Christian groups. I wanted to find out how they worked, what they did, what motivated them, and so on. I discovered a group that was holding regular meetings in one of the Oxford cinemas, and they've got an office in the corn market in Oxford above a betting shop. That was us. So I went and knocked on the door and said I was interested. It was very curious to talk to them, to talk to the chap in charge, but even more curious to go to this meeting on a Sunday in this big cinema in Broad Street, because here was quite a large group of people all of whom were intensely bound together in sort of networks of fellowship and mutual aid. So-and-so's just had a baby. What can we do to help? So-and-so's volunteered for babysitting, all this sort of stuff. And of course, they had their own school, the King's School, they call it. It seemed to me that invisible to the general population, certainly invisible to me before then, was a sort of secret welfare state, in effect, 
It was a strange thing, because if you were in trouble, there was instantly a dozen, two dozen scores of people ready to help, keen and eager to help. And he goes on. In case you get too excited, the rest of the interview, he's really not very complimentary about us or the church generally. (laughs) But isn't it interesting that somebody who has no reason to like our community noted that about the community That is obviously a while ago. I want to say I think this is still the case nowadays. Many of you will know about the meal rotors that go on when somebody is in hospital or has just had a baby. But actually, that's just one mark of what I think amongst us is a spirit of mutual building up and encouragement. And it's not just practical. I want you to pause a second and think about um, whether this week you have shared an encouragement from God, whether it's something from the Scriptures, whether it's getting alongside somebody in a scriptural way with somebody else in this community. I'm not going to do a show of hands in case you're the one who perhaps this week had an off week, but I reckon that would be most of us. Certainly it's my regular, um, sort of what I regularly find, that when I chat to somebody, I find, oh yeah, I was just talking to that person and they said this. And and there's, there's that going all the time. We are sowing into each other's lives, scripturally, and we are building each other up and encouraging each other. It's good. We can enjoy this. It's okay to celebrate this because what we're doing is giving glory to God. As long as we're not saying, look, we're brilliant, guys, we've got it sorted. But actually, as long as we recognize this is the work of the Spirit amongst us, I think it's, it's not only good, but it's right to honor God by celebrating what we do right. If we celebrate it, we will presumably continue to value it. But I think we also need to put some effort into keeping it going. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, you know, go on doing this like you are already. We've talked a number of times, actually, just over these last few months about the fact that being Oxford with a a large turnover of people every year, that actually this church sees a large number of people each year move away from Oxford and also a large number of people arrive. It's about, about a quarter of the church overall every year. And that means that there's constantly new people coming in, some of whom will have this culture and some of whom won't. And it means that we have an effort to make if we want this to continue to be our practice. We have an effort to make for it to continue to be our practice to build and encourage encourage each other, just as we have been doing. And it won't just happen. It will happen if we're open to the Spirit prompting us and we're willing to to give ourselves to it. Uh, We were talking just amongst the student group um, just over a week ago now, talking about whether we will benefit from the community or whether we'll build the community. And I think here we have a, a prompting to not just benefit from what we have here, but to build it. So let's be on the front foot about that. Okay, great. I want to have another, I think this is us, moment. Okay, and that's about our attitude to leaders. John Stott um, interestingly writes about this, this passage about leadership. I'll just read it again, just so you have it in your head. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard amongst you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Depending on the translation you have, if you have the old NIV, you might have those who are over you in the Lord. It's the same in the ESV. Um, The reason those two are more or less interchangeable is, of course, because biblical leadership is always about service and always about care. We have pictures like shepherds and servants being used throughout the New Testament to talk about leadership. So in that sense, I don't see an issue between saying care for or are over you in the Lord. John Stott says that the church has historically flip-flopped between two unbiblical extremes, one being this one, clericalism, a situation in which the clergy keep the reins of power in their own hands, monopolize all pastoral leadership and ministry, and receive exaggerated deference. 
I don't see myself receiving exaggerated deference. I'm normally the butt of jokes, particularly from Andy O'Connell, but there you go. I deserve it. And the other one being anti-clericalism. The clergy in any shape or form are redundant. The church is better off without them, overlooking the fact that in the New Testament, the chief shepherd delegates to under-shepherds. And I was reflecting on this one as well and thinking that I certainly don't see a, a baby in bathwater being thrown out. We do have leadership, but actually we have leadership right across the church. I could take any patch of the seats here and there would be people there who are leading through bringing prophetic words. There would be people who are leading by pastoring others. There would be people on the leadership team. There would be student leaders. There would be missional community leaders. We are a community where we lead as a community. And that's really important. This is another, let's keep this to be the case. It's really significant, the fact that we ask you brothers and sisters, and then talking about leaders, it highlights that the whole letter is written to the whole church. And actually, you could go through every one of these Pauline epistles to the churches, and they all start off addressed to the whole church. In fact, it's only Timothy and Titus, you know, where he's actually speaking to specific people. The rest of the time, the assumption is the entire church needs to hear the message. The entire church holds the responsibility for seeing it worked out. And that's what we believe. So let's hang on to that. Let's value leadership. Let's raise each other up. Let's take responsibility. It's good to do. I do want to mention as well briefly, um, I'm going to benefit from the fact that Steve and Bev aren't here this morning. Steve's, I believe, preaching in Abingdon. Um, That when it asks you to acknowledge those who work hard amongst you, I just want to publicly honor Steve and Bev. They work so hard. They make so many sacrifices um, in their free time particularly. And it's not just them, but it's Amber and Lois and Eleanor as well. And I want to draw your attention to the fact that at the moment, um, in Bev's family, there's a number of health issues which are causing significant strain on the family. And I just want to say, pray for them, please. And if you know them well enough, think of whether there's practical ways you can serve them. But let's acknowledge them, because I personally have benefited from Steve and Bev's leadership so much over the years. I think, I think we all have. And... I think it's right to acknowledge that, and I think it's right to support them when they are in need of it. Um, And right now would be such a time. Let's pray for them. Okay. I want to widen out the passage a little bit more now. Okay? Because, actually, sometimes these headings that they put in in the translations can be helpful. Uh, They give us kind of bookmarks to get to a passage quickly, or they give you an idea of what's coming up. But actually here, it kind of interrupts the flow. And, of course, they weren't in the original text. So if you're reading this on a phone or if you're reading this in your Bible, I just want you to stick a finger over that little heading there. It says final instructions or whatever you've got there. And we're going to read from before to afterwards for a second. Okay. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard amongst you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, and so on. There's a flow here. I don't know how many people here got to hear Steve Thomas speaking last week on eternal perspective. I wasn't able to be in the service. I picked it up um, on the uh, the website. I, I imagine there wasn't a dry eye in the place. 
he was speaking about this eternal perspective we have. That leads into this. This is the conversation behind those last words, okay? The conversation says this, having heard about this eternal perspective in which those who die, die in Christ and will be raised, those who are alive when he, come back, when he comes back will be raised with him and all will meet Jesus. Having got that eternal perspective and being aware that the timing of Jesus' return is unknown. His return is certain, but the timing is unknown. Knowing all of that and bearing in mind our status, we are people of light. This is now just at the beginning of this 1 Thessalonians 5. We are people who live in the light. Don't sleep. In other words, don't just drift through life. Don't be unaware of what's going on. Don't let it just happen around you. Don't get drunk, i.e. act worthlessly without a thought for the future. This is not just talking about drunkenness. That you, When you drink, you don't think about the hangover and you don't think about what you're going to do when you're drunk. So... Don't get drunk here is talking about acting worthlessly without thought for the future. He's saying, bearing in mind the eternal perspective, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We are people of light. Don't drift through life. Don't act worthlessly, but remember where we're headed. Life together with Christ. This is verse 10. Therefore, and this therefore is really important because every time you see a therefore, there's a, there's a causation. Okay, Because we're headed for life together with Christ, therefore, encourage and build each other up. One leads to the other. We've got to be together with Christ. That's where we're going. So we've got to get used to being around each other. We're going to be together with Christ. Therefore, nothing else matters. No petty differences. No little kind of snags between people. Let's build each other up. We're headed for life together with Christ. Therefore, we're going to need some encouragement to get there, aren't we? He's writing to a church where... Just a few people turning to the Lord was enough to start a riot in the city. They're going to need encouragement. Remember where we're headed, life together with Christ. Therefore, respect and honor leadership. It's really important that we have leaders helping us to focus and go places together as a community because we're headed for life together with Christ. Remember where we're headed, life together with Christ. Therefore, live at peace with each other. Now, I was really tempted today to take some time to talk about living at peace, and I really felt like it wasn't the right thing to talk about today. So I just want to highlight to you a book, which actually I'm going to lend out to somebody today anyway, but um, I'm sure you can get it online. It's a book called The Peacemaker by a chap called Ken Sand. or it's Sunday, I don't know how you say it. Um, And based on the principles in Matthew 18 and in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about ways of being reconciled to people. It walks through the biblical models of it. It gives you tools along the way about how you might go about that. If you feel like actually there are unresolved differences between you and somebody else and you want to work through them, and the Bible has got all that you need, if you want to unpack it a little bit, ask to borrow this book or get hold of your own copy. But there are ways to resolve differences in the church, and they work because Christ is the great reconciler. Anyway, that's an aside, perhaps. So, because we're headed for life together with Christ, live at peace with each other, this is, however, not a superficial peace. So, I'm going back to verse 14 here. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, 
be patient with everyone. See that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is not superficial peace. This is not, well, you know, if we stay at arm's length from each other, I'm sure we can get along. This is not tolerance. This is mutual discipleship. This is the peace that comes from lives lived openly in front of each other in which I am open to you telling me that you think that I might need to tweak something in my life or maybe radically change something in my life and I'm free to say the same to you. This is mutual discipleship where I know that I am supported by those of you who know me and those of you who don't know me, but you know, if there's a chance for you to rub shoulders with me, you'll support me. That's the kind of unity we're talking about here. It's not a superficial peace. It's true peace that comes from mutual discipleship and open lives. I just want to recap that. I'm aware I went through that rather at breakneck pace, but this is the previous conversation in summary. It's about identity. We know who we are. We're people of light. It's about destiny. We know where we're headed together. It's about treasure. We know that Christ is worth making wholesale life changes for. I don't know if you want to just pause for a second and think about the message Paul gives to the Thessalonians. Because he turns up and in a few weeks he totally turns their world upside down. Everything that they have ever thought about life is totally overturned, particularly if they weren't from a Jewish background, if they were Gentile believers. They wouldn't have had any framework for anything like the gospel. And in a few weeks, their entire world is totally, totally capsized. And he's writing to me saying, guys, you need to change your lives and live like this. And they say, yeah, all right. And what kind of understanding must they have had of the gospel? They must have known that the gospel is worth changing anything for. And some of the other letters Paul writes to other churches, he's asking them to make even bigger changes because they haven't already got stuff sorted. And, and they say, yeah, okay, we'll do it. And there's some cases where they don't, of course. We know that as well. But they've got hold of the fact that knowing Christ is worth making any other life change for. And then lastly, community. They carry all of this together. Every time that Paul addresses them, he's addressing all of them. And this is really important because unity is a big thing for Paul. Um, Philippians 2, 1 to 4 says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, remember this is the, the therefore, there's causation here. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Unity is really important to Paul. So, and so far I've stood up and I've said, guys, we need, maybe we need to make a few tweaks, but we're doing this well. Let's keep going. I, I think there is a point here for growth as well. We're talking about how we can grow in peace and unity. I think it comes down to this Philippians passage that expands a bit more what unity looks like. It says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I guess we could map that onto this and say, share an identity, share a destiny. Your identity is not just who you are, but it matters because it also affects what you do, doesn't it? We live as people of light. Because we're people of light, that affects how we live. So when Paul says, be of one mind and have one purpose, 
He's talking about having one identity, one destiny. It's the same ideas as this Thessalonians letter. How do we know that we're doing that? Well, part of it is about this mutual discipleship. If you're in pastoral relationships with people, if you really share deep questions with friends within the community, you start to get an idea of whether we're of one mind and one purpose. But overall, what you get is a sort of a general impression of the people around you. We do have another way of working out whether as a group of people we really are of one purpose, whether we really are of one mind in things. And we call it membership. The New Testament mainly talks about it as being part of the the, the assembly of believers um, in a uh, sort of a society where actually it was quite a high bar just to turn up to a meeting because you could be persecuted. That worked. We're in a setting where anybody can walk in and nobody will think anything other than that they're just interested. So actually we have something that we call membership. But this is about saying, are we really one in identity? Do we really believe the same things about God and about ourselves? And do we really have one purpose? That doesn't mean that we don't have any individual thoughts about what we might do, but as a community, are we going somewhere together? And are we agreed on where we're going together? And I think it's a great way, first of all, of assessing, are we being biblical? Are we of one mind and one purpose? And also of helping to shape that, because actually, as you learn more about a community you share more of that community's history. I've had a great experience over the last sort of five, ten years of learning more about my family history. I haven't done a whole family tree like Steve has, but I've, I've read through my granddad's memoirs, and I've also had um, a number of conversations with my, uh, my granny about her father, who was a prisoner of war, and while he was in a prisoner of war camp, um, discovered a calling to the ministry. Absolutely fascinating story. And I've started to realize a bit of my family history, if you like. As we come together and and talk about membership, actually what we discover is that we have a community history. God has been working amongst us as a community since before we met in a cinema. And actually there's things that came out prophetically back then that we still carry today. So I want to invite you to have a think about this. We've got an evening in which we're going to explore what membership is. Um, It's in two weeks' time on the Sunday evening. It'll be here at the King Centre, and it's open to everybody. So that is, it's open to you if you're not a member and would like to explore. Just find out what it's about. There's no requirement to sign up on the night. So it's more about exploring it, starting the conversation. But I'd also like to invite you, if you are a member, or you think you're a member, and perhaps we haven't made it very clear, um, if you'd like to just remind yourself of what this is about, about what we share together about what we believe together, about where we're going together, I'd like to invite you to come along as well. It's not just for those who aren't already members, because actually this is a great way of aligning our vision, saying, are we really together in what we're doing? I came to Oxford as a student in 2001, and I have lost count of the number of people from this community who have shown me love, who've invested in me, who've rebuked me, Thankfully, there was some definite need of it. There still is. Who've prophesied over me, who've prayed with me. I could go on. We belong to a community in which everybody contributes. And part of what I bring to this community is just recently, over the summer, God has been speaking to me 
about a season of readiness. Some of you will have read the blogs that I've put up. They're just kind of trying to explain a little bit of what I feel like I'm carrying at the moment. I feel like God is preparing us here at OCC for something, and I don't know what it is, but I think he's speaking to us about being ready for him. For those in whom this triggers a kind of pathological worry that we're going to do more stuff, I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's about a different season that's coming. I don't think it's about being busier I hope it's not about being busier. I think it's about a new season. I'm really desperately praying, actually, this is about a new season in which we see more people coming to faith in Christ. That's my heart cry, but I don't know. I just feel like God is saying, get ready. Get ready. When Jesus came to his own people, they weren't ready. At least most of them weren't ready. His own people rejected him. But actually, there were those who did accept him. I feel like God is saying to us, get ready. And I don't know what he wants us to get ready for, but I do know who I want to do it with. And that's you guys. That's my family here. And if that resonates with you, I want to encourage you, get ready. (laughs) Connect with the people around you. Continue to do this thing of building each other up, of encouraging each other, of getting ready together. Because I believe that when the season comes, we want to be ready together as a people. I think this is our point for growth in peace and unity. Let's commit to each other, whether that looks like membership or whether that's just reconnecting with people, whether that's spreading your reach a little bit further across the church. We all have a places that we sit, don't we? And, um, and maybe the people over here don't know the people over here so well. Maybe there's a little bit of that that needs to go on. I don't know. But let's grow in peace and unity by being one in mind and one in purpose and being ready for what God has for us as a community. Simon. So we're just about to finish there. What I'd like you to do is just pause for a minute. We don't always or often do this. And just have a think about what Al's message means for you. And what I mean by that is, do you feel like you've been drifting a bit? Or you've held back from some relationships? Or, you know, this kind of overflow of our lives into others has kind of dried up a bit for you? Or... Or maybe God's just provoking you about something, something different. I just would like us to pause for a minute and consider that. Because when you consider it, then hopefully you'll go away and do what you feel God is saying to you. So, uh, Lord, would you just speak to us where Al has spoken to us, Lord, from your word. Would you just speak to us about what it might mean for us as individuals and how we could obey you and what you say, Lord.